Today and next Sunday, I am teaching, and if, if you're new to New Life, uh, then you might note that periodically we will pause, and there will be lessons taught, and we've done this for many, many years. Of course, it's been a little while um, since we were here to, to have some time of teaching, so... This would be a good time to take notes. So if you have uh, something to write with, this is a good moment to take notes. And if you don't have something to write with, um, keep it to memory if you can. I want to read from the New King James Version of Matthew chapter 19, and we'll start there, and then we'll build the scriptural directives. And here it is. This is the Lord. He answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? I won't do too much pausing here just to say this is a distinction from the beginning of time. God made male and female. He only made two genders. Now, I shouldn't have to say all of this, but given our current environment, I feel like I'm going to not assume anything, but I'm just going to speak plainly. God made male and female. That's it. Now, the devil has been fighting the original concept of God. Since the garden. This is his great fight. It's been going on for 6,000 years. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. God did not allow for mama's boys to exist. I haven't even gotten past the first scripture and we're already disturbed. Can I just say this as a qualification? Some of you are going to think that I'm talking about you. I am. <laughs> not intentionally, not grinding any axes here. Um, I'm talking about the whole group, everybody. I don't have any in particular thing in mind, just the scripture. But when you read the Bible, it does invade our space. It challenges our thinking. And we're going to be challenged today. So a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And as we found out, the word cleave is the only word in the English language that is its own antonym. Cleave means to separate and to join. Hmm. We got to go on. And the two shall become one flesh. One flesh. Now there's much to say about that. Especially when it comes into the realm of a corrupt society that embraces fornication. So then they are no longer two, everyone. They're no longer two. So individualism is a postmodern trait 
that is against God. The individualist is against God because two will become one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Okay. I have to go back to the core to find out what God wants for me and for you, for my family. So I'll just give you a little working dish definition of core. It will be the root. It will be the foundation, perhaps even the inner person or the heart of the matter. The core. If we went back and peeled away the layers, we might find the cause or the reason for the things that we are seeing today in our own lives. The now is predicated or contingent upon the then. Now has come about because of something then. Whatever we do now will become our then. Are you catching this? And a couple months from now, this will be the history and we will build upon what we're doing today. I don't, did I confuse you? Let me try again to confuse you. <laughs> Whatever we're doing today, we will, we will find out whether it's good or bad later. Paul called it the law of harvest. Whatever you plant, you reap. Whatever you plant, you reap. Planting is indiscriminate. It doesn't matter what you plant, you reap what you plant. Even the Lord spoke about it. You, if you plant a particular seed, hoping to get a different kind of fruit, this is what happens to people. They plant the wrong seed, hoping for a different kind of fruit. Whatever makes up the constitution of the seed becomes the fruit. If you plant love, if you plant hope, encouragement, you will reap that. If you plant discouragement, if you plant evil, you'll reap that. This is the law of harvest. And then, of course, the Bible says God is not mocked. So that means you don't get away with anything and you will be blessed with everything depending on what you plant. So many folks struggle and I see this today. This has been going on for a while, but I see this today. And, and the reason why they're struggling is because they use Band-Aid solutions to try to fix internal diseases. This is the way of our society. It's the way of many church people, of all of us that struggle. Sometimes we're using a Band-Aid. And of course, today we're very accustomed to messages that end up with no remedy. They are band-aid messages. They are temporal. We hear things like, you need to get away, or you deserve a break, or if you escape for a while, or vacation or entertainment, something. But when the money is spent and then the time is gone, we find ourselves right back where we were before, and then the cycle continues, and we can't wait for the next vacation, and we can't wait to say that we got away from it all, but then we come back to it all. In fact, if you're like me, it takes a lot of work to go on a vacation. And when we come back home, there's a pile of mail and a lot of things that we have to take care of. And then you kind of wonder, why did we go? 
And then we're really not gone because our cell phones are like ankle weights. We can't put those down. And cell phones and the internet has become like a comfort food. The crowd is excited. These are the thoughts I'm thinking. (laughs) They're so glad they came. It means that we are not living the life of peace. And peace comes from boundaries and limitations. Uh Uh-oh. Let's talk about comfort food for a while. Rocky Road ice cream. Warm cinnamon rolls. Are you depressed? Curl up with a bag of potato chips. Can't get to the beach? A nice half gallon of bluebell caramel ice cream. Sit on the couch and eat it. Mm-hmm. Watch your, your favorite movie or film or pop in that old CD of when you got married. I want to teach you about a solution next week, but it may not be the solution you assume. I'll just say this. Quick remedies and solutions are a misnomer. There are no quick fixes in this life. I believe that new birth salvation can happen in a moment of time, but healthy lifestyles are a daily choice. I want to be careful with this so that you understand what I'm saying, because also I know that people may not feel my spirit, so I want to make sure you feel my spirit. We believe in the new birth experience, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's in the Bible. Acts chapter 2, it's in the Bible. I have to qualify this. I shouldn't have to, but I have to qualify this. Everyone should experience this new birth, ex- this new birth experience, the new life. However, I just want you to know that after you do that, you must make decisions because the new birth is a birth. You're born once and you live past it. Some folks think that if they can experience the birth over and over, it'll fix their problems. It's not going to. We'll talk about some things next week. I'm attempting to build something. I cannot build it without my wife because we're one flesh. So together, we are attempting to build a spiritually healthy home, an emotionally healthy home, And a financially healthy home. Because my spiritually healthy home is my connection to God. It's our family's connection to the Lord. An emotionally healthy home is our connection to one another. It's our relationship with one another. We work on that every day of our lives at our table, in our living room. We've had, to, we've had to have times at our table. Then sometimes at night we gather in the living room and sit on the couches and talk. And finally, we want to have a healthy relationship with the things that we have. 
material things. My, my relationship with God is not established in this house. It's established at home. My relationship with my family is not established here. It's, re- it's established at home. So I have to have those relationships. Then comes money. Believe it or not, money is a big thing because Jesus said you can only have one master, God or money. These are the two gods in the world. Jesus did not say God and the devil. The only two gods are God and mammon or money. That's it. Why? Because God created man and man created money. And when people are in financial duress and major debt, it tells me they have a lust issue. Oof. Crowds join this. But for now, we're just going to look at the original design of God. So what was God's original intent in creation? We find in the first few pages of the book of Genesis, the most basic elements of the Garden of Eden. The basic elements were this. Obedience. Communion, innocence, boundaries, and a limitation. I'll do it again. These are the basic elements of of the garden. Obedience, communion, not necessarily in this order. Innocence, boundaries, and a limitation. God set up a limitation in a place that had no restraint except for one thing. It was the only limitation that Adam and Eve would ever face. Of the perhaps thousands of fruit-bearing trees and plants and vegetables and fruits and all of the things, there was just one tree with one fruit they were not allowed to eat. Everything was available but one thing. Boundaries, limitations, we know them. We may not discuss them, but we do know them. Many will fight against them or ignore them, but the order of the entire world hinges on boundaries and limitations. If you remove them, then you have chaos. Remove them, then you have chaos. There's a, a highway in Germany called the Autobahn. It's a, it's a famous highway. There are no speed limits on the Autobahn. You will not get a speeding ticket on the Autobahn. You can go... Of course, in their vernacular, 120, 150 clicks an hour, kilometers an hour, 100 miles an hour, 120 miles an hour. Someone else might want to go 70 miles an hour. Almost everyone who has an accident on the Autobahn results in a fatality. These are the statistics that have been going on for decades of time. They're trying to address the issue, but the Germans don't want to remove the highway without limitations. The problem is that when you have an ex- accident going 150 miles an hour, you usually die. It doesn't matter if you have a seatbelt or, or an airbag, usually die. Because the impact is so great, especially if you have a head-on collision. People have run into the back of someone else and died because someone's going 80 and another person's going 200. These are very fast supercars that they like to drive on the Autobahn. You see, without a limitation... There's danger and chaos. And when there's no limitations in your life and in my life, there's chaos. And we're looking now how we got here, but we didn't look back to what we did before. 
Eden was the perfect place, that garden. It had boundaries, come to find out, because Adam and Eve were removed from it, which signified a boundary. It had the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was set in the midst of the garden. Maybe it was in the middle of the garden. But the garden told the story of God's intent. Communion, obedience, recognition, boundaries, limitations. It was stress-free. It was disease-free. It was financially free. It was worry-free. And why? Because God set up a limitation. Without the tree, there was no obedience. Without the limitations, there was no obedience because you are a free moral agent only if you have a limitation. No one is obedient to God if there's no ability to disobey. He created Adam and Eve, these two, these two. Today, my first lesson of core is the is entitled these two these two had it all these two started all life these two are our parents our parents adam and eve were perfect their bodies were perfect their hair was perfect their complexion was perfect whatever height it was five six and a half that was perfect they were perfect (laughs) whatever it was Six foot, I don't know. But they were perfect human beings. There was no disease. They never had a headache. They never had a neck cramp. They never had a backache. They were perfect. And they were innocent. They were naked and unashamed, the Bible says. These two. But in the midst of a perfect environment, with a perfect life, with a perfect health and a perfect body, Eve pushed the envelope And she went to the tree she should never have been around. And she looked at it and she desired it. And then she became open to the idea of eating it. And when she went to it, guess who was there to greet her? Satan was there to greet her. And the Bible says that Eve was deceived, but Adam was not. The Bible says that. Adam knew exactly what was going on. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 14. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in transgression. Adam simply put aside his headship to appease his wife. She liked it, so he went along with it. He did not speak up. He knew the command of God, but he was silent at the wrong time. Maybe he thought, happy wife, happy life. Yuck. That turns my stomach. What are you talking about? That's right. Go ahead with that nonsense. You're going to get kicked out. (laughs) When these two are out of order, everything is out of order. When these two abandon their God-appointed roles, everything else is out of order. Because these two command the entire order of the world no one can heal a nation with good policies or good leadership even men and women of integrity will not mend our nation it does not begin in the halls of congress and i know that some people might even struggle with my next statement it does not begin in a good worship service or a good altar service it begins with these two Um, 
here's a couple points for you. The Bible is not American. Does that hurt your feelings? It wasn't written in your language. It's for you, but it's not American. The biblical writers did not have you in mind when they wrote it. True Christianity, the apostles' doctrine, and scriptural principles are always counterculture. Especially today. When you open up this book, it's almost entirely against everything that's happening today. It's against the culture. Mass consciousness may rule the nation, but God rules the church. So it doesn't matter how many people think it's right. It doesn't matter if there are a million people that think something's right. If one scripture is against it, the million are wrong. Do not give qualification or credence to numerical value. Everyone can be wrong, or as the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. This is a problem. This is a growing problem because we compare God's goodness with the amount of people who believe in something. Ooh. Subjectivism is almost always against the law of the Lord. Perhaps always. Subjectivism. And finally, your most natural disposition is to resist boundaries. My most natural disposition is to resist boundaries and limitations. I'll, I'll give you a case in point. Everyone, go on a fast right now and don't eat for the rest of the day. And fast tomorrow and the next day. And then tell me how many times you went to the refrigerator and looked inside. Hmm. Come on, I am I the only one who wants to watch the Food Channel while we're on a fast? Why am I doing that? Then yet, I was on a long fast, and every day I watched YouTube how to make steaks. Man, I know everything about making steaks. I don't know how to do it, but I know the theory of it. <laughs> Hours of pan-fried steaks and grilled steaks and smoked steaks and how to make medium rare steaks, savory steaks. Anytime there's a limitation, our most natural inclination is to push that boundary. We do not want anyone telling us what we cannot do. The limitations of the tree of knowledge of good and evil provided the ability for obedience to exist. And no one knows that they're a servant until they're treated like a servant. No one knows they're obedient until they have to do something they don't want to do. Submission is, a, is an intentional act. I would even say this. Submission may never be easy. These are the benefits of the boundary. They bless us and help us. And there are boundaries that we have to have. So I'm going to speak to all of the homes. What we wear is a boundary. There are boundaries about what you ought to wear. 
You know them. You know them. You may not talk about them, but you know them. Now, I confess I'm a little old-fashioned, but I just wish people wouldn't wear pajamas into the grocery store. I, I'm sorry if that hurts someone's feelings. I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. And I, and I confess, and I'm a throwback, but man, bedhead, come on, really? I mean, I know it's not a fashion show, but it's out of hand. I don't care if you just came from the swimming pool and you're at Walmart. And I, I try to stay away from it, but I have been sent several links to people at walmart.com. I think that's what it's called. I mean, there's a, there's, a, there, there's a whole culture about people at Walmart. People take pictures at Walmart. I'm not even a proponent of Walmart, but I'll give them a little call out. Please respect Walmart a little more than you're, than you're respecting Walmart. There's some boundaries. We know them instinctively. We may not say them. What we say, there's a boundary about what we say. There's a few things you don't say to people. You'll find out if you say the wrong thing. A friend of mine told me again, he, he, you know, this happens periodically. You know, he said it to a lady he didn't know. He thought, congratulated her on her upcoming baby. No. <laughs> I didn't know you were in the family way. And she said, I didn't know that either. <laughs> There's some things you don't say. Mm -hmm. When your wife asks you, how do I look in this dress? What is your reply? W what is it? Do I look fat in this dress? <laughs> you know, do you have a filter? What, do you, what is your reply? Huh? Well, not as fat as you looked in the one last week. <laughs> is that what you said? You know. You may not talk about it. What do you allow to say when you're mad? Do you think that it's okay to say a cuss word when you're mad? Or when you're angry and pass it off? I was just angry. Really? The Bible says you can be angry. And here's the next line. But sin not. I'm allowed to be angry. But I'm not allowed to put my Christianity on a shelf until I'm done with my anger. Wait a second. Shame on us. When we give ourselves excuses because of the severity of the problem, there are no problems that allow you to put your walk with God on a shelf and pick it back up when it's convenient. I'll tell you the problem is we don't have boundaries. We've not instituted boundaries. Let me, let me, let me just go to the next one because it'll lead into this. What do you allow yourself to see and to hear? Because... If you listen to a bunch of cuss words, but you don't say them, when you get angry, you'll know how to use them in the right syntax. I heard someone cussing and I knew they didn't really know even how to use those words. <laughs> they didn't even have them in the proper order. 
I mean, one of them was both the adjective, adverb, noun. It was all of it. And some people are really gifted at it, but you should not be. Why? Because there's some things you don't say, let no profane word come out of your mouth. There's a limitation and a boundary. Let me just say, I don't care who did it. I don't care if you grew up with it. We don't give ourselves excuses because of our culture or ethnicity. If you throw your hands up and say, well, that's just the German coming out of me. What are you, Hitler? I just, that's the Spaniard coming out of me. What? What? No, you're not. You don't throw your hands up and say, well, that's just how I was raised. Well, you are supposed to be born again a new life. When you walk into God, into the kingdom, are you telling me you get to hold on to all the junk that you did before and you get to bring it out when you have your moment of anger? And then what do you do? Well, I'm just going to repent and we're just going to worship God. But next week I'm going to be angry too. See, there's no proper boundaries and borders. There are no borders and there's no boundaries. You can't do that in marriage and have infidelity and just come back in. Really? That's how you live? Do you live that way? Hmm. There are boundaries, ladies and gentlemen. This is, here's what boundaries do. Are you still, is everybody okay? Are we, are we, we'll get uncomfortable again. Hold on. Boundaries define ownership, authorities, sovereignty, roles, security, and identity. I'll do it again. Boundaries define ownership. Two men shot each other over who was cutting the grass on what side. They had a, this was a few years ago, they, they had a, they, they, they had a gunfight because one was cutting grass on his side and the other was cutting grass on his side. They could not figure out the boundaries. There was anger. Ownership, the boundaries declare ownership, authorities, sovereignty. Watch this, American citizen. When we give up our sovereignty as a nation, we will lose our nation. When our leaders give up sovereignty over our intellectual properties and over our land and over our money, we will have no nation. When you give up the boundary of your God-appointed role, mothers of the church, you are the mothers of the church. You are the daughters of Sarah. Read in your Bible. When you give up your boundary, you have no security. And you lose your identity. This is about roles and about a man being a man and a woman being a, a woman. The boundaries of men and women. It has, it has crept so far. Listen, the devil is after everything that God first created. Because if the devil can distort the garden and the creation, he distorts everything else. This did not begin in 2021 uh, uh, or, or 2019. This began at the inception of time. 
We don't have gender-neutral bathrooms. It didn't start today. It started a long time ago. This has been a long fight. And now the church accepts these things as normal practices. And today, evil is good and good is evil. This is the end time of life. You better set up some boundaries. Listen, if we don't get this right, we're in big trouble. What are the limitations? God gives limitations and we have to put our own limitations on ourselves. What about our limitations? What will you not ever say? What will you not do? What will you not hear or watch? What will you guard yourself against? When will you actually speak? Or will you stay silent? See, some things need to be protected. When there's no boundaries, there's no freedom. Because freedom comes about through the boundary and the limitation. That is counterculture. And the home is what you must protect. Let me ask you, who will you let into your home? What would you allow to be said among each other in your home? What will you speak in your home? Just because you're in your home doesn't mean God doesn't hear it. Read in your Bible. God said, I heard you when you dwelled in your tents. <laughs> I'm always concerned when people say, this is my church life and this is my private life. Really? Is it hidden from the Lord? You mean you're a Christian? You're a worshiper when you're at church, but you're a heathen and a devil when you're not there? <laughs> what about your words? What will you say? Who will you speak against or about? What will you allow yourself to consume? What are your boundaries today? I'm asking everyone in this house, what are your limitations? See, home health depends first on whether God is allowed into your private life. Is God allowed into your home? Uh, we've, had, we've had this over and over again the great prayer and people talking about uh, a, a Book of Acts revival church, which I do believe can happen. Um, but, but most of the time I hear this about the American church. We're going to have 3,000. We're going to have 5,000 in a day come to our churches. I, I want to know about 100 new people walking into new life next week. 100. I want to I have a, a moment where 100 people are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and we have to rotate people baptizing folks because we have 100 people lining up to get baptized. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now here's the problem. The problem is we might be able to see that happen, but can we retain them? Is there a, can, we, can we retain? Is there retention? Now, now the, the, the statement is, well, the book of Acts had this. 3,000 in one day. Let me tell you the difference between the day of Pentecost and 3,000 or 100 today. The Jewish people had the law of Moses. They already had laws of what they could wear, what they could eat, how they would conduct themselves. They already had in their minds order of life, men, women, children. They had the order. 
They didn't have to reorder their whole lives when they were baptized and filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They already had that. They went back to the temple and then from house to house. The difference between that that Jewish family and the today family is that our whole world is so out of order and out of sync. They are birthed here, but they know nothing about how to live. So the only way we retain people is if the church gets what I'm teaching correct and we get it right in our homes. Because we've got to get these borders and boundaries right in our home so we can example to the unbeliever who comes in and they're baptized in these waters of baptism and they're filled with the Holy Ghost how to live daily, how to have respect and honor among one another. Because we have a whole generation of children. I'm not talking about teenagers. I'm talking about children who don't know anything about honor and respect. They don't know how to look anyone in the eye and even use manners. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank you and please. I'll tell you why. Because they never heard it at home. Because these two never exercised this book. So don't be embarrassed about what your children do in public when you allow them to do those things in private. Uh Uh-oh. And if we get our homes right and set our lives in order with boundaries and limitations, which are already written in the Bible, then we can grow people. Then we can help one another. What are your limitations of time? The Bible says the Lord will not put on you more than you can bear. But we do. God doesn't put us. We have almost no margins in our lives. You ever read a book? This is a, this is, I love this Bible. This is a great Bible. And the leather is so nice. The guy who sold me this, he took this and he wrapped it up. And stuck it in his back pocket. And I said, you don't do that. He said, I'm just showing you how, it's, how flexible it is. It's wonderful. It's goat skin. God loved the goat. Poor goat. Harvey. <laughs> I don't know what his name was, but he gave up his life <laughs> so I could wrap up this thing and put it in my back pocket. We don't know the book. We've got, we've got a problem with the book. We've not studied the word. So what do we do with our time? And we put things on us that we cannot bear. He won't put on us more than we can bear, but we do that every day of our lives. I like this Bible. But if you look at this Bible, it's not my regular study Bible because my regular study Bible has large margins. I write in it. I've got my one-year New King James Version, one-year Bible. It's a chronological Bible, and I'm writing in it in the margins. We leave no room to hear from God. Most of our communication is a one-way street. We're talking to him, but we never are silent because we don't have time for that. We don't have time to sit and listen. And so we're frustrated. I prayed, I prayed. And did God give you the answer? Maybe. 
But you didn't have time to hear him because your whole life was consumed. You have no boundaries. You have no limitations. You don't know how to say yes to the right thing and no to the wrong thing. And so basically what we do is we sacrifice and forfeit our church life because we want to spend our time somewhere else. Let me just ask you, why do you have to go on a vacation to get away from it all? I'll tell you why. Because you didn't put any boundaries around your time. And you're consumed. And you've added so much to your life that now God has very little room and you have no space to write. If you don't order your time, you'll be stressed out, worried, and conflicted. When we remove our borders and our limitations, ladies and gentlemen, we, relo- we lose our freedom. I have to say that the matter of honor and respect must be worked on every day. Some things we should never say to one another just because it's disrespectful. Some of these things are a matter of respect. I would like to say to to these two, you're sitting here, you're listening to this. Hear me, these two. A lot of the problems in marriages come from a lack of respect. We don't honor one another like we ought. Let me tell you about the man who's a working man. He works hard. He works long hours. He gives himself to his job. And when he comes home or with his family... He has nothing left to say or to give. His priority is out of line. Let me say to the, to the wife who's a working mother, a working wife, be careful, ladies. The same thing can happen to you as it might happen with your husband. Don't give the best of your life to a job or career and give the least of yourself to your spouse, or to your family. (laughs) I would say that there's other things that happen when we're not healthy spiritually, and that is that our entire walk with God is based around our church life. Thank God we've got... We've got a good church, and I believe that the Lord is helping us. It's not a great church. It's a great God, it's a, but it's a good place to come. But if this, is, if this is the only place where you hear the word or you study the Bible, you're in, you're in big trouble. You're anemic. You're struggling. You have no spiritual strength. And when I see, when, when I hear of marriage disputes, most of it, if I peel it down, there's a problem with the role, and there's a problem with honor and respect. You didn't honor him. You didn't honor her. You didn't respect him. You didn't respect her. And when that happens, everything gets distorted. When you're out of order and out of sync today, you're going to see that later on in your life. Can you hear this word from pastor? Don't be the person who wakes up later in life to discover you have children that don't honor you, don't respect you, don't honor God, and don't respect the things and the principles of God. Whatever holiness you put in your home, it's going to materialize, it's going to grow up into that same level of holiness in the future. 
what you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. But someday you'll wake up and say, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. In the moment that you could put things in order, set up boundaries, we will not wear this in our home. We will not be sensual. We will not say those words. We will not have that attitude. <laughs> we will not drink that thing. We will not, we will have boundaries around our lives and limitations. And if you think that that is the responsibility of the church, it's not. It's the responsibility of the home. This may be simplistic, but I I don't want to assume anyone knows. Maybe everybody knows. But the way we treat this house might be indicative of how we treat our own things. I think we should treat the properties that we have better than we treat our our own homes. Once again, I'm showing my gray hair, aren't I? But I know that if you've got four-month-old McDonald's french fries smashed in the back seat of your car floorboard and some gummy bears that mark the birth date of your oldest child all wrapped up in the bottom of your car... You probably don't care if there's trash or there's paper or whatever in the floor of the hallway. You probably would just go ahead, if you wiped your hands off and you threw your paper towel and it landed on the floor, you'd just walk on by and say, somebody else will pick that up. And you know why you think that? Because there's a pile of dishes right now in your sink. Oh, maybe that was prophetic, Lord, I don't know. Did you say it? I'm just playing the odds. <laughs> I know somebody. Uh-huh. Oh, I'll tell you what we'll do. We won't put borders around our cell phones, our computers, or whatever media device you have. And so that's why we're frantic and we still, instead of folding clothes, we just dry them and pick them out of the laundry basket. And we smell them and say, this must be clean. And I'll tell you why. Because we didn't order ourselves. And then you, guess what we do? We come down to the altar. We're stressed out. We are, our health is messed up. We're, we're frantic. We don't have any, we've never set up any boundaries of our lives. And we, then we blame the devil and say, the devil has been tearing, he's tearing our family apart. No, it wasn't the devil. It wasn't the devil. You've been eating of the wrong fruit. You've been indulging of the fruit of pleasure, of entertainment, of an orderless and boundaryless life. And when you did that, then you, you got stressed out. Then you thought, some of you pick up every straight cat that you ever drove by. And I say cat metaphorically. Because you're going to say, I hate cats. You pick up everything, everyone else's problems, everyone else's issues. And you're so weighted down because you've never put any boundaries on yourself. There's no limitations. And so you get to the house of God. You're weary because you think Sunday, are you ready? You think Sunday is the last day of the weekend instead of the first day of a new week. We're, we're treating Sunday as the last day of a long weekend. <sighs> Got to rest up. What? Instead of being rested for Sunday, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. Oh, not, not everybody. 
No, we're going to enter his gates dragging. <sighs> was up late last night. It's to his course of praise. I don't know if I can sing. It's just sing for me. We'll be glad. We'll praise his name. No, we won't. No, we won't. We're going to recall all the stuff that we've left at home because we didn't get our lives in order. We are out of balance. Hear me, fathers. There's something about balance in your life. Hear me, dad. Your moral authority is critical to the leadership of your children. And when you lose your moral authority, that means you are silent at the tree. You're not deceived, men. You're not deceived. Ladies, you're not either. You're not deceived. And when you lose your moral authority and your daughter or your son, they come home with some guy and some girl and you know they're not living right, your mouth is closed. You'll make exceptions for them. Why? Because you lost your moral authority. You got to get your moral authority back. I'm going to tell you how to get your moral authority back. You set up limits in your life and boundaries in your life and you'll get every moral authority that you need to speak to your family. Okay, let's just go to the word here for a little bit. And, uh, and, and let me just, let me get to the word. All right, are you ready? Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Here we go. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Here's for the whole church. It doesn't matter if you're single, if you're a single mama, if you've never been married, single father. If you're a widow, widower. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Here's verse 10. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Everyone, that is the directive to everyone no matter what age you are. Young men and young ladies, always give respect and honor to your, to the, to your elders and your leaders. Do not ever disrespect them. If they are wrong, let them be wrong. And if they're wrong in their leadership to you, you go back to your father and your mother or your grandparents and you talk about it, but you do not correct them. It's dishonorable for you. There are many jobs that could have been had, but they weren't had, careers that folded because people were not honorable. Honor and respect will get you in a door that a degree will not. When it comes to the church, we do not follow the things of the world. We are kindly affectionate to one another. That way when people come in and our hundred soul revival commences our two or three hundred, they're going to know how to grow and how to live. Because we have baptism down and the new birth experience down, but we're struggling with day-to-day -day living. Here's to the men, 1 Thessalonians 4. For this is the will of God. Even your sanctification, the, your separation, holiness. Go to Brother Foster's class. He's been teaching sanctification for five years. That ye should abstain from fornication. Doesn't matter. Love is a decision. You can help yourself. Don't ever tell me, you just, I just lost control of myself. We just didn't know what we were doing. That's not true. You were not in a daze. Let her daddy knock on the window of the car. You'll get control of yourself real quick. Let the cops show up. 
<laughs> that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. You possess yourself, men, in sanctification and honor. It is not okay. Fornication is not okay. That is a boundary. And if you've crossed that boundary, make the commitment now today. From here on out, I'm never going to go back to that. Don't give yourself away. Protect yourself. <laughs> that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also have forewarned you and testified, for God hath not called us into un, unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. God called you unto holiness. Holy means set apart. He called you to be set apart. Men, be set apart. Go home and set up some boundaries and limitations in your family, in your home. I don't know what you're watching, but be careful what you watch. Tammy quoted the scripture to me this last week. That we should have no pleasure in even watching sinful practices. Oh, well, I'm not doing it. I just like and I enjoy seeing it. Whatever that is. Genesis 2.24. There therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they should become one flesh. Let me just add this to men. Men, you have an obligation. It doesn't matter if your it doesn't matter if your wife is brilliant makes a lot of money, you cleave to her, you leave your father and your mother, you take responsibility for your home. Men, take responsibility for your home. She may make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and you might make almost nothing. You still have to work. Your job is to work. And if she's a stay-at-home mom and you're struggling, you get two jobs if that's what she chooses to do. Well, I know this is, this is a little counterculture. Don't sacrifice your children's future for a better car. Don't sacrifice your home for more stuff. Who cares what you have? I don't care what you have. I'd rather you drive an old 1977 Chrysler LeBaron with its muffler held up by a clothes hanger and it backfires and people feel like we're in the middle of Afghanistan when you drive through the parking lot and have your home together than for you to drive up in a brand new fancy rig It might be nice for you to drive around and have a nice car, but if your home is out of order, it don't matter. The car is going to fail eventually, and your family is going to cause you more trouble. And in the end, if God so tarries, who's going to take care of you? It shouldn't be the government. It should be your children. And the reason why they take care of you is because you love them enough, and you care for them enough, and made enough investment of them with honor and respect that they can't wait to love on you and take care of you. First oh. Peter 3 7 likewise ye husbands all the husbands say here am, here am I all the husbands say here am I you didn't say anything all the husbands say here am I okay dwell with them according to knowledge giving honor unto the wife you give honor unto your wife uh oh ladies sorry 
as unto the weaker vessel. This is true. This is true. Did you not know we have to write laws now because transgenders, the men are starting to take over all of the women's sports. They'll never lose another weightlifting competition, basketball game, track competition, because when a man decides he's a woman today, our, our country says that's permissible. That is an abomination. But what's happened is we're finding out that it's not working out so well. Frank, who now wants to be called Francine, can run faster because the fulcrum of his legs and his arms are inherently stronger. Doesn't mean he's smarter. You are heirs together. Watch when you come together. Now you're heirs together. There's no high and low in the air. You get the same portion. I just spoke this. Come on, ladies. You get the same portion. Our women are not less powerful than our men. But when it comes to it in the final word, and if, that, if, if your wife is struggling, men, you know, don't let her to be deceived and you close your mouth because you don't want to, to make a wave. Make a wave and say, we can't eat that fruit. We ain't doing that. We're not doing that. No, we're not doing that. And you say, well, I don't know how to say that. I'll tell you how you say it. You get your life right with God. You become the spiritual man and she'll be drawn to you. If you don't want to become the spiritual man, you have no moral authority. So we'll combine a little bit of this this here. Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Now, this is important. You submit to your own husbands. Just because another man dictates to you doesn't mean it's true. Your own husbands. As it is fit in the Lord. So in other words, he cannot lead you into unrighteousness. It's got to be fit as unto the Lord. That means you submit to him and you do the best you can with him. But if he, if he is an ungodly man, you don't go to the bar with him. You don't drink with him. You don't partake in ungodly things with him. Because as it's fit unto the Lord... That means as God sees it. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter. What's that word mean? Harsh. It means harsh. Don't be harsh against them. Are you an angry little elf? What do you do? Walk into the house and vent all your frustrations? Mad about everything? Angry? Take all your anger out on your wife? Love your wives and don't be harsh. Who do you think you are? You don't come home and decide that you're off of the clock. That was the American way. What? Can't wait till I'm 63 and a half, 64. I'm retired. What, what, who, who started that? Who started? Who told you that? I've already put in my eight hours. No, you did not. And then what? This is the idea of the American a barca lounger, a can of beer, and a football game. We call that the man's cave. And that's not in the Bible either. And if you want to know about gardening, Adam was the first gardener. And Naboth had a beautiful vineyard. And there's no scriptures about women planting fruit and vegetables. Oh, 
well, I'm a hunter. Yeah, does that make you good? Yeah, men should be hunters. Well, I'm going to give you two hunters. Esau was a hunter, and he gave up his birthright. And the, and the other hunter was Nimrod. Thank you. Nimrod. And he was a perverse and perverted man. So don't talk about hunting. When God made you a hunter, he did not make you a hunter. That's not an excuse. Besides, I've, I've been brought hunting before and shot nothing. It's not all it's cracked up to be. Can't read, can't have a Coke, nothing. Just put you in a street tree stand. What a joke. I can hunt right now, right now at Meyer. I'll tell you where I'm going, hunting. I'm going to Bazers right after this. I'm going to hunt me some meat. <laughs> yeah, you can tell me how many animals you kill. I'll tell you what I killed. I killed a nice ribeye. Marbleized. I know how to cook that thing. I've been watching. <laughs> Here's verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well pleasing to you. Mom and dad, can I just say, mother, father, institute obedience in your home. Fight the little battles because there are no big battles. They're just accumulation of small ones. You won't have to bail them out of jail. Hear me, young parents. If you teach them how to have respect for their room. Mm. For this is well pleasing to the Lord. And then, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. The expectation of a dad can cripple the mindset of sons. There are grown men today still trying to get over the negative words their father spoke to, her, spoke to them. Grown men whose fathers told them, you'll never amount to anything, and they discourage them. You're a nobody. You're nothing. What's wrong with you? And those horrible words has distorted the viewpoint of grown men that are talented and gifted, but they don't think they are. Or some of them are still trying to get past their dads who are deceased. They're still trying to prove something to their dead fathers. And there are daughters that are doing the same thing too. Because the father said, well, you're not as pretty as that other girl. So, so those daughters went off and tried to be pretty for another man. Ephesians 5.22, I'm almost done. Wives, submit yourselves into your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Everyone said amen. The husband is the head of the wife. I didn't write this. This was inspired by the Holy Ghost. Even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So men, before you tell your wife she has to be submissive to you, you have to die for her. Bleed for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He loved the church so much that he gave up his back, his head, his body, his blood, his energy. So when you get done with doing all of that, it'll be easy for your wife to be submissive to you. But if you're not willing to do that, 
perhaps you'll never experience the right communion. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loved his wife loved himself. 1 Peter 3, 1, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, so if you have an unsaved husband, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives. You can win your husbands to the Lord by your conversation while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. You have the fear of the Lord, the honor of the Lord, and pure conversation. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. The attraction of a woman is not what she puts on. It's what she says and it's her attitude and her, her spirit. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. The thing that's not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek inquired spirit. There are a lot of ladies who spend a lot of money and there's all kinds of advertising. Get this for mother and for your wife and all the jewelry that's going to come. But no one ever considers the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, of great price. Let me tell you how hard this is. This is a boundary. Because we know that women have a lot more words to say than men. And they use them. Typically they use them. Now this is not always true, but usually women speak more words in a day than men. Come on, don't be offended by that. That's who you are. Get over it. <laughs> Sorry, that's just who you are. It's, it's denying this idea. So there's something about constraint. You don't have to know everything about everybody and you don't have to have an opinion about everything and everyone. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted God adorned themselves being in subject unto their own husbands. Here's a really big one for you. I'm sorry, it's in the Bible. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. I'm not submitting that you say that those exact words. Whose daughters ye are, but you are the daughters of Sarah, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with, an, with any amazement. Here's to the home. Finally, children, obey your parents, the Lord, for that is right. Ephesians 6, honor your father and mother. May be well with you. You'll live long in the earth. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them but the nurture admonition of the Lord. Let me just give this quickly. I'm, I, I'm, I'm past my time, but uh, there's some information that I want to say and this is important for us but but there's a great disconnect and it happens with these two and these two are not creating godly homes spiritual homes they're not emotionally healthy homes and not surely not financially healthy homes and because of that the American society is losing membership to churches less people are going to church than ever before um, this is from George Barna and I've got a couple other uh, uh, reputable uh, polling centers. Um, children between the ages of 5 and 13 have, a, have about a 32% chance of, of becoming a Christian. When, when, when it's, and I'm going to address this next week, in, in the teen years uh, after 14, because the window closes almost to 14, that number comes down to about 14%. So if, so if a young person comes to God and they're older than 14 or comes to a church, it's, it's a struggle for them to readjust their lives. 
But when people get over the age of 19 or 20, it's very difficult to convert them. In fact, just 6% become Christians. This is an information age when, uh, when people are most likely to decide their worldview also or their belief in God. Um, and it's really about conversion. So here's a few thoughts and I'll give you 13 thoughts and then we'll end today. People are getting married older. The median age of a bride is 27 years old. Median age of a groom is 29. And so, so many, uh, many scholars and, and people as, as they d- dissect this are realizing that commitment is becoming harder for people. In fact, that's being seen in all kinds of products. Nobody wants long-term commitments. They don't want long-term commitments and it's pushing the age back. And it's, they say that we're on the track for people to get married in their mid-30s. That may be their first marriage in their mid-30s. And that's because it's hard for people to be committed. When we, when we talk to other ministers and, and, and pastors and church leaders, we're finding out that when there is a campaign, a financial campaign, and people are asked to make a written commitment, people are rejecting that. They do not want to write down what they're going to give. At the first weekend of each month here at New Life, you can go on the website and sign up for a half-hour prayer time. I just want you to know, writing a commitment is good. You should write a commitment. You should be committed. It's okay to have a commitment. But the reason why people don't want to have commitments is because they don't want a boundary or a limitation. Because a commitment limits them. I'm just going to tell you, if you're going to get married, you need to read the book that I, that I wrote. It's a pamphlet. And it says, so you want to get married. We've been teaching this. Before you make a 40, 50 year decision, a commitment. You need to court for one year. Don't tell me that you've been speaking in tongues and praying and after three weeks, the holy angel of God came down and visited you and the archangel Gabriel spoke to both of you. And then now you're ready. You're not ready. You don't know what you're doing. I don't want to be pinched anymore. I'm tired of being pinched because I know you're going to make a 50-year decision. It's bigger than the house you live in, the car you're driving, your job, and anything else. That's the largest commitment in your life, your marriage. I'm not apologizing, and I'm not angry. I'm not angry, but I'm also not apologizing. This is what we're going to do. We're going to teach our young people. We're going to teach your children. If you go against me, that's fine. It's on you. You marry them. It's all right. I'm not, I'm not upset with you. you. You do it. And then you take the responsibility to make sure they know how to treat their spouse when they have problems. Because right now, they got the emotion of love. But in a year, they're not even going to like each other. And then a couple years later, they're going to look over and say, I don't even know why I, li- I married you. And then we're going to deal with the wreckage of divorce. And divorce occurs because of the hardness of your heart. Yes. Okay. Number two, few people are getting married. Fewer people today are getting married. So now marriage is even in major decline. Number three, more people are living together without getting married. Number four... Guess what happens out of all that? The divorce rate's starting to decline. So guess what people say? It's getting better. It's not getting better. Just fewer people are getting married. They're living together. 
Let me just tell all the single men and single ladies in the house, it's better for you to remain single for the rest of your life than to marry the wrong person. It's easier to get into something than to get out. It's easier to hire than to fire. Okay. Well, uh there are no returns. Number five, less than half of all children make it to 18 years old living in a home headed by their original married parents. The rise of the blended family, which we have to minister to do every day, and we will, and we want to. We didn't have much data on this point, but there's a massive rise in the blended family. It, we started our data, America started its data around the mid-1990s, but roughly today, one in six children live in a blended family. Number seven, marriage has been redefined, and it's going to stretch even further. Once the definition of marriage has changed, then there's no limit to what the definition can be. That's going to be, the next horizon is going to be an age limit. California's already pushing the age of consent under 14 years old. You better wake up and understand that what the boundaries that you think are minimal, you better have a boundary in your life and teach them in your home. Because if you don't, you're going to lose all order. We've got to get it right. New Life wants to minister to all the single parents and single parent homes. We love our single parent homes. This is the place where you find order, but you find, but you establish your boundaries in your homes. But single parent homes are the highest at any time in American history. Number nine, only 36% of adults report that they attend a weekly church service as a family. And that number is dropping every year. Right before 9-11, the numbers were low. When 9-11 happened, tons of people went back to church. Now it's lower than before 9-11. Now we've been desensitized. Number 10, the most common ritual a family once had was a family meal at home. Today, the least common family function is a family meal at home. And they cite this. Prep time is too arduous a task and cleanup is too contentious no kidding how many arguments have been around who get, who has to wash the dishes even in our home when we say who's going to wash the dishes that's when we hear can we use paper plates today also everyone would rather go out or eat on their own instead of having time together number 12 over 2,000 families surveyed quality time this is their own definition whatever it is their quality time is almost non-existent and they cite internet time is consuming them television time sporting activities can I just pause there there have been a lot of families in this house you let your children get involved in sports and you forsook your entire summer at the church and your children are not serving God today and you're struggling your family because the sporting world doesn't care about Wednesday night church or the weekends. I don't care if they're a good basketball player or a good baseball player. To date, none of them have went pro. You think they're good because you're biased. And I've had fathers and mothers say, my son, my daughter, they're so good. They're not near as good as you think they are. Because there's 10,000 other young people vying for that same post. 
They're not going to get on the team. Steph Curry ain't giving up his seat for your little boy, Reagan. I don't care what you got. It ain't enough. You got a lot. I know you can take your Uncle Scott. Maybe. I'll tell you why family time. They cite homework, shift work. Everyone has a different priority. So the families are not talking. Nobody's talking. And in fact, Dr. Dobson said a few years ago, and I know this is a little bit outdated, it's 10 years old or 12 years old, but that the average time that a father talks to their children, their sons or daughters, is under three minutes a day. Here's number 13, and I'm done so far past time. Finally, two parts. Part one, there's a rise in obesity, mental illness, heart disease, Stress, anxiety, financial worry, fear, and lastly, anger. These things are at their highest level in our society right now. I wonder why. No boundaries, no limitations. Nobody, nobody is, no, nobody's making food at home, but it's so easy to go through a drive through who is not going to go through a drive-thru now they're convicted? At least today, you're going to, you're going to abstain from a drive-thru. You already had plans, didn't you? That's what you're just going to All right. <laughs> Part two of, of, of number 13. Here's it, here it is. More people than ever consider themselves to be spiritual. More people than ever say that they are spiritual. But fewer believe in the Bible. Fewer believe in Jesus Christ. Fewer pray and fewer attend a church, which they now called organized religion, because that is a nasty word, organized religion. I say today, my limits give me freedom and give me health, and my boundaries are saving my own mind, my marriage, and my home. And if we'll get this right, there will be a reason to rejoice, and there will be health in the home. Spiritually healthy, emotionally healthy, financially healthy homes. Now, Lord, I thank you for your word today. I pray that this would sink deep into the heart of everybody. And I give you great praise and glory and honor.